Hello and welcome to um, episode number 150 of Their Giants podcast. It's going to be another uh, K-Raj show with me and Kerry Crowley talking uh, a little Giants baseball. Uh, I'm not quite sure how the sound quality is going here. I'm in a, a hotel room in Arizona, so I don't have my normal setup uh, for this introduction. But uh, I wanted to get this out today, so it wasn't too old before we recorded this. We recorded this right after the Bob Melvin introductory press conference. So there's a lot of Bob Melvin conversation here. Um, and before I get to that, uh, I will naturally say that uh, There Giants podcasts are supported entirely by my readers and subscribers at thereagiants.com. So if you enjoy um, the little bit of talk about the Rule 5 uh, candidates I go into in this podcast, uh, you'll enjoy reading the entire things over at my site, uh, so head over to rogermunter.substack.com or thereagiants.com, and you can become a subscriber to get all the off-season rankings and fun content we have coming up. And with that, let's get to my latest conversation with the wonderful Kerry Crowley. All right. Well, Roger, a lot has happened, as has been the case a lot this off-season. <laughs> we've been recording these episodes, but a lot has happened, I mean it this time, since the last time we talked to each other. And hey, the Giants have a manager we all recognize. How about that? You know, I have seen that man hit home runs at Candlestick Park. What, <laughs> what more do you want to recommend a guy? Exactly. <laughs> if you can hit him out of Candlestick, you can manage the San Francisco Giants. <laughs> I think I think that's the way it works these days. But uh, interesting hire in Bob Melvin for sure. I, there's a lot to like, and I'll get to my fear later on. Have you have you actually covered Bob? Uh, I know you you certainly worked when they were they were playing against the A's. Do you know him much at all? So I know Bob from a number of different press conferences and sitting in the dugout and chatting to him a, a number of times, but there's zero chance Bob Melvin, if he saw me on the street, would say, look, I've seen that person before because he's a major league manager for 20 years. I think he'd come across a couple thousand reporters, and I was one of the people who maybe covered him a dozen to two dozen times. So I, I did write, though, back in 2019, after the A's got eliminated from the wild card round by the Tampa Bay Rays, they were the home team that year. I think they won 97 games. I wrote a column that a lot of people with the A's organization kind of took issue with, and that was <laughs> saying, hey, it might be time for Bob Melvin to go elsewhere. And a lot of people at the time were saying, no, Melvin's the perfect fit in Oakland. This is where he's meant to be. But the A's had had great team after great team, and they had not had any postseason success. And I said, look, there's so much turnover at the manager job in Major League Baseball these days. What if the Giants came calling? As Bruce Bochy was retiring, I said, you know, Bob Melvin might be a fit in San Francisco. He's an expensive manager. The A's are inevitably going to cut costs at some point. What if the Giants came calling? And that was way back in 2019. And of course, a year later, it was the Padres that came calling. But right. nonetheless, I mean, he's someone who deserves to be a major league manager. He's one of the probably top 10, 15 in the game right now. I just, I wonder with that lack of postseason success in Oakland and the way the Giants want to build this organization, kind of emulating some of the things that the A's did, if uh, if we'll see that trend creep up in future years. I mean, I, I would imagine they just like, they, they hope to get to the point where they can worry about that, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Let me that's, ask that's you a question, Kerry. What, uh, from from what you've seen, what you've been around, what is the actual importance of a manager? How, where are the points 
the pressure points where manager can make a difference. Cause it's something that I've always kind of, I mean, I like managers as sort of vibe salesmen, right. you know, Roger Craig was the greatest example of that dusty Baker, but what do managers actually do to help kind of grease the, the wheels of success? Well, I think that they are not only the conduit between the front office and the clubhouse, but they're the conduit between the team and the fan base. And so there's two really important things that I think we actually can kind of look at there and say, this is what a manager does outside of the in-game moves where he's making pitching changes, where he's you know pinch hitting for someone, all those moves that'll be scrutinized. It's the things on the outside that we talk about a lot, and that is... Can a player come up to the major league level from AAA and fit in at the major league level and have the confidence of their manager, have the confidence of the coaching staff, and have information be relayed to them in a way that they can understand? Because every player is different, and so as a manager, you've got to be able to juggle different personalities. And I think that one of Bob Melvin's calling cards probably has been his ability to do that with the Oakland A's most recently. I mean, I'm not going to judge his San Diego Padres tenure on too much, (laughs) but... I think that with the A's, he was able to say, okay, look, there are English speakers, there are Latin American players who speak Spanish, there are players coming over from Korea and Japan from time to time, and the circumstances for every player adjusting to Major League Baseball are always different, but you want to make sure that you can bring everyone together in a cohesive way to where everyone feels confident and understanding of their particular role on the team. You're only going to have five starters in a rotation, nine players in a lineup on a given day. And so it's making players feel that they can succeed in their role and helping them understand their role, regardless of what their background is, and then be the messenger to the fan base. And this is something that I think that Gabe Kapler, just Giants fans, either A, weren't going to accept what he was going to say, or B, Kapler didn't do enough to make himself a little more, I don't want to say likable as a person, because I thought he was likable, but <laughs> I, I think someone who was an everyman to every person who was understanding yeah. the team. Gabe talked a lot about the nuances of the game, and he was able to explain strategy really well. And at the end of the day, people just want to hear how it is. You know, people liked when Bruce Bochy would say, I don't have a left fielder. Or, this guy's killing <laughs> And yeah, he would sometimes be throwing his guys under the bus. But he was honest and fans appreciated that honesty. And then in the greatest moments, that's when Bochy shined because he's able to shine the light on the players who did so much and able to say, hey, look, I might be giving an interview about Corey Seager right now, but Jose LeClerc made himself available every day of this postseason. And so he shines the light on the players who deserve to have it on them. I think that those are the two things that a manager does is you know, be the voice from the front office to the team and be the voice from the team to the fan base. And that is ultimately outside of what happens between the lines, how we judge major league managers. I mean, I, I guess my, my number one impression from um, the press conference and just the sequence of events we've seen is it feels like Melvin was brought in to kind of calm things down. Like just in the greater giants world, things got to a little bit of a fever pitch this year and just his calming presence and, and Susan Slusser is kind of reporting some of the people he's thinking about as coaches. Uh, there is a, without a doubt, a kind of reversion back to an old school mentality. Hopefully it'll be melded, uh, you know, <laughs> Uh, Pat Burrell and Kai Correa somehow. Um, (laughs) Those two together. Oh, Roger, you just made the best picture. You just made the best picture. (laughs) But it does feel like organizationally he's being brought in to kind of bring the vibe back down a little bit. Because, you know, as you say, Kepler was not an everyman. And he gave really smart, nuanced, intelligent answers 
two two questions he got, but they were always sophisticated. They're always at a certain kind of high level of, you know, he was wonky. He was as a person who lives in DC, he was like a wonky baseball manager. And that always seemed to rub, you know, some people the wrong way. And I don't think you're ever going to get that from Melvin. Um, but I, I want to get to your tease there. What are, what are your fears about, about Bob? Well, my fears in hiring Bob Melvin are that you look at his track record in Major League Baseball, and yes, he managed the Seattle Mariners, the Arizona Diamondbacks, and the San Diego Padres, but there's no doubt that he is known as the manager of the Oakland A's during some of their best runs of the 21st century. And look, they've had some great teams in the 21st century. The A's, by and large, if you've been invested in that team, they will return that investment because it's been cheap to go to the ballpark (laughs) and they come out of nowhere quite often. And Bob Melvin is a major reason why. And one of the things that he did was he maximized the talent available to him. And when I say that, I mean, look, the A's never invested in their team. They were always bottom 10 in payroll. They were always bottom five in payroll. And yet Bob Melvin was able to get the most out of that team. And if you're Greg Johnson in a CEO role or a chairman role, and you're looking to say, hey, maybe I don't want to spend $230 million on payroll this year or $250 million, or look, ah. maybe we're not going to get both <laughs> Yamamoto and Jung-Hoo Lee, or we're not going to get both Otani and Yamamoto this offseason. We're going to have to realize that you know, I'm comfortable putting together $189 million payroll, or I'm comfortable spending up to a certain threshold. But if more or less your goal is to break even, who's the manager who's (laughs) going to do best with a team that might break even? Bob Melvin might be that guy. And that's not to say that Bob Melvin can't manage a team of superstars, but he's had one team of superstars. We just saw how that team did. And so I wonder if the Giants are trending toward, now that the A's are leaving the Bay Area, more of an A's model. And that worries me because they'll always say, oh, we'll spend more than the A's. We'll do this better than the A's. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, if their philosophy is like the A's, that's not going to sit well with Giants fans. Yeah, I I, and I want to go down that direction, but I will just follow up what you say. And not only has he got the most out of uh, rosters, he has a pretty long history of developing prospects into everyday big leaguers. I mean, a lot of real real star talent has grown up from, you know, babies to major leaguers on his watch. And that's going to be an important part of, of the coming year as uh, here, I got my little Marco Luciano. Uh, <laughs> they give that out of Richmond this year. <laughs> the San Jose. I got that in San Jose uh, a year ago, I think. Um, that's awesome. But yes, you, 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 uh, you have tended us towards payroll Um Greg Johnson managed to put his foot in it uh, yesterday at a celebratory press conference to the point where I noticed uh, Buster Posey is sort of walking his comments back today uh, to trying to get things pointed in the right direction. I listened to him talk. So it wasn't just him either. Uh, uh, Farhan Zaidi, after the press conference, was talking to your colleague, Andy Baggerly, and he talked about, you know, in the sort of overarching progress that's been made in the last five years, how constrained they were when he came on board. You know, I went back and looked at, by Cots when he was hired the end of the 2018 season, that was the 209 million is where they were at roster. The next year it dropped down to 170. And it really does have me thinking, where is the pinch point with, with this ownership group? It really feels like there's a very different view externally to internally of what their financial resources are, because 
you know, people in the media, fans keep talking about their financial muscle and they keep talking about discipline and flexibility. And if we have to, maybe we'll go over the CBT one year, but we wouldn't want to do oh. it perpetually. And you listen to that and you're like, I mean, Aaron Judd signed for $40 million a year. How are you fitting that into a payroll that doesn't go over the CBT. I, I'm very confused about where the thinking is on this organization right now. Well, a few things, starting with Greg Johnson. I, he's opened his mouth three times in the last month, and each time he's had to regret it. I mean, this is someone who should not be put in front of a microphone, should not be put in front of a camera, should not be allowed to talk right now, which is why Buster Posey, who you know does not want to give an interview, you know Buster Posey is done talking to the media, and yet he has to go on Murph and Mac. The last thing that he wants to do is go on Murph and Mac. All respect. I'm going to be on KMBR soon. So all respect to these guys <laughs> who do a great job keeping it light in the morning. But Buster does not want to do that. We all know he doesn't want to do that. And yet he has to go out and be the face of management, be the face of ownership. Because we talked more yesterday during this press conference to introduce Bob Melvin about the things that Greg Johnson said than we actually did about Bob Melvin as the manager. And that's really bad. Like we're talking about the existential questions for the organization on what should be a celebratory day. You're bringing someone home. This guy's lifelong dream is to manage the San Francisco Giants. And everything out of Bob Melvin's mouth was tremendous. It was gripping. It was like this Menlo Atherton kid, he gets to come home and, you know, he's been a manager for four different teams, but this is the team that he wanted to manage. I mean, there's a real link, a connection to this fan base here. And yet, Oh, the conversation has to be centered around what Greg Johnson says about payroll because it just doesn't add up with where the Giants were. I'm so glad you brought up that figure of 209 million with where the Giants were because they have not come close to that figure during no. the Farhan Zaidi era. And look, that ain't Farhan's choice. Farhan wants to spend some money. So I, I really am wondering like if Yamamoto is it this offseason. Or if one free agent, say Blake Snell, wants to come play for Bob Melvin, if that's it this offseason, what's the Giants' path to com competing, Roger? I mean, I have an answer for that that I'll get into a little bit later, but I, I do want to just follow this. It, it is disturbing. And, and, and you know, it's funny. You, you, Buster comes on and says, we always want to put a championship competitive on the field. That's a Buster thing to say. I remember in 2021, you probably remember this when he said, my goal is to go out there and win a, a division championship. And I don't think I'd be a very good teammate if I said anything else. I assume he's saying that in the, 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 the board as well. And, and, and God bless him for, for doing God's work. But uh, <laughs> You know, maybe 2019 was a different situation because they had capital tied up in, in uh, the mission rock and, and they might've been a different place, but they also weren't dealing with the pandemic and the results of that. I don't know. I Every time they talk about money, I feel like they're in a different place than we all sense they are. And I mm -hmm. don't know what to do with it. I also would love to know how Mission Rock impacts the Giants financial picture. Yeah. In, in my in my impression, it absolutely should be part of their financial resources because you know, and what they, they they won't get any reward for this, but Giants fans are kind of the the investors in that project, right? They put 
the money in, they put the wealth in. And at the same time, a financial burden has been being put on Giants fans because of the parking situation now. So it's their our our role is worse because that thing exists. It was funded by money essentially put in by the fans in that in that great early period. It should be part of the baseball revenues, I'm thinking, but I have yeah. no idea if it is. I, I have no idea. And that is the store. Like if if I was still on the beat, uh, I it would be my mission to try and tell that story. My, no pun intended with Mission Rock. Uh, but that, <laughs> that would be the the rock that I'd go back to uh, that throughout the season, because it's the most important looming question over the San Francisco Giants right now yeah. is how much money do they have to spend? And realistically, what are they comfortable doing? Because I wonder if this year at the trade deadline, there were opportunities for the Giants to potentially add someone whose name wasn't A.J. Pollock. And if they said, <laughs> look, realistically, we could add someone, we'd have to take on salary, and we're not going to probably win the World Series. It may get us to the wild card round, but now we're seeing what, what happens when you just get to the wild card round. When you just win 84 games, anything can happen in the playoffs, which is why it's so important to get into the playoffs and be willing to spend that money at the trade deadline and be willing to gamble on your team. Because up until the deadline, this was a Giants team that deserved the addition. And I don't care, you know, if they were mortgaging part of the future, it's tough to look those guys in the eyes in the clubhouse and be Gabe Kapler, be Farhan Zaidi on August 2nd and say, hey, we got you, AJ Pollock. Like that is really tough to do. And I wonder if finances influence that. And, And that's now an open question because of the way they talk about this team. Yeah. And, and the other thing, of course, he, he made reference to teams spending big, uh, not getting much return on that investment, which, of course, looking at the Mets, uh, looking at the Padres, except, you know, we also look at Texas in the World Series. Uh, Texas went from 100 losses to a World Series team in two years by spending. And yeah. they have had good player development. Josh Young is a great player, but they spent their way from one of the worst teams in baseball to the World Series in two years. Um, you know, it has to be smart. You got to find the right people. And, and yet some of their spending has turned out badly. You know, Jacob oh, yeah. is not pitching in this world series. So you can't unilaterally say that spending money is a bad idea. The, the way they focus on the way Johnson focuses on developing talent when he talks bothers me because, uh, you know, I'm a player development guy. I believe all in this. I, I think the path forward is, you know, Marco Luciano, Kyle Harrison, Logan Webb, these guys can come up big. You can turn around quickly. But are they then going to be committed to building up from there? Because we've seen teams, Pittsburgh Pirates, who get a great wave of talent from internal and then never spend on top of it. Don't get over the hump. It all disappears and you're right back at the bottom of the mountain again. And it doesn't feel like the organization ever went anywhere. So that I hope is not the the player development vision that we're going to get guys, get into a window and then let them go be rich somewhere else, because that is not going to placate the fan base for sure. And who's got more experience with that philosophy, with that way of doing business than Farhan Zaidi and Bob Melvin? Right. Because they came with it from across the bay. They understand how Billy Bean and David Forrest had to operate under John Fisher and the various owners that the A's have had who didn't want to spend money, they know that their job is to make the most out of the least. And so that's my fear moving forward. It's like, you know, if Marco Luciano is great, two years from now, if the Giants are middling at the trade deadline, you don't want to hear about a Marco Luciano trade package. You want to hear about a Marco <laughs> Luciano extension. 
You want to hear about a Kyle Harrison extension, and then you want to hear about the next wave of guys coming through the farm system because I have total confidence in Michael Holmes and drafting these guys. I think that we've seen the Giants player development system. And Roger, you know this better than anyone covering it on a day-to-day basis. The farm system is in good shape, in my opinion, because of the way they've drafted. And maybe it's not in great shape, but I think that they can get there. And I think that they can get there with continued commitment to it. And now the question is, will they commit to it? But yeah, I, I do I, want to I hear your perspective it. on the farm system because it's far more informed than mine. It's it's uh, I I was just reading something the other day because I was doing some research and um, I, I was looking at Eric Longenhagen's Giants list this year. Um, and he, he said something really funny, but it, it, it resonated with me, which is, are the Giants good at developing pitching or not? Uh, because um Every year you got these big pop-up guys kind of from, from down below in the draft, whether that's Hayden Birdsong, Mason Black, Kyle Harrison, frankly. Um, but then they've had a lot of fizzling out at the top of the draft. Um, and that's been true in a way of their drafts in this era is there's a lot of bang. There's a lot of great scouting stories and a lot of big talent burbling up, but they haven't gotten the first round right yet. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, Patrick Bailey is is proving to be an exception to that, uh, but I still am not quite sure what kind of player he's going to be. If it's, you know, if it's going to be kind of the guy he was this year where it's a, a great glove, carry the bat kind of thing, a one-way player or a two-way player. Um, but the 21 draft is really looking a little iffy at the top right now. The 19 draft, obviously. Don't um, mention where Corbin Carroll was taken. Don't talk about Corbin Carroll. <laughs> we will not. But... I mean, that's if, and that's the, the like alchemy of this all. Corbin Carroll is one of those guys who's kind of like Buster Posey who transforms the dugout. You don't, you can do all the scouting in the world and think, you know, kind of a kid, but I think organizations that get those players stumble onto them more than, oh yeah, it's, you don't know that about an 18 year old, um, I watched Corbin Carroll, the game he got hurt in 2021, he was playing in high A. He tried to steal a base against Patrick Bailey, got thrown out, hurt his shoulder going into the bag on the slide. That was maybe May of 21. He didn't play that year at all. At that point, he's a 19-year-old maybe, missing an entire year of high A. Two years later, he's a runaway rookie of the year and a legitimate MVP player. That's that's remarkable. So whenever you talk about farm systems, you have to understand that there's so much room for variance within them because I mean, Bryce Eldridge is a guy who gets really rave reviews. You can imagine a world where as a 19 year old, he maybe gets to double a next year and, and like explode, but you can imagine a world where it takes a lot longer, <laughs> where injuries happen, where development slows. Um, guys can just zoom as we saw this year from Otto's and Bailey, or they can get slowed by any number of things, whether it's injury, whether it's mental, whether it's emotional, all kinds of things can slow guys down and speed guys up. So you never quite know. That's why you got to build up tons and tons of talent. Um, I, my, my look, when I look at the farm system, it's in pretty good shape pitching wise. I think there's a lot of arms that are getting to the top. It's much thinner now after the group we saw this year, position yeah. player wise, there's, You know, Victor Barracota blew up this year. He really had an impressive year this year. He's probably the only guy, I think, in double A AA or triple A, not on the 40 man, who's 
right on the radar at this point. Uh, you know, Grant McRae, I think, is still a really good player. Irison Artiaga is an interesting player. It's pretty thin after that. So the position player, probably, it was good to see them uh, devote a draft to position players because that was clearly where the the thin side of the, the farm system was. Arms, they've got a good amount of depth for sure coming up at this point. And yeah. uh, as, as somebody in their front office said to me recently, you just stack those guys up and you see kind of what was, what comes out of it at the end. But I like where they are pitching wise. I hope this year was the beginning of, of, of more robust hitting in the organization. One thing that I wanted to ask you about now that the manager search is officially over, now that Bob Melvin is hired, of the pool of candidates the Giants interviewed internally or were rumored to have interviewed what did you make of the decision to interview Kyle Haynes, who's now the longtime farm director? And that's not someone who, that's not a position where anyone ever gets the word long time in front of it. That has changed out so much in organizations. Kyle Haynes, now the longtime farm director of the San Francisco Giants, after managing in the lower minors. What did you think of that, knowing how important the prospects are next year? Was was that actually confirmed? Because I did see it around, but I, I wasn't ever sure if it got confirmed. But I I saw his name come up a couple of times, and it really caught my eye. Uh, and it, and in part because you would hear people this year talk about, well, Pete Patillo is going to kind of clean that area out and bring in all these other people. And I'm and I I think that was just informed by, oh, there's a new guy here. He's going to bring his own people. And I'm like, you know, I think they really like Kyle. I think Kyle does a really good job. And I think they really like him and people, yeah. but you know, I think we do have some proof here. They, they, they kept him. He's one of the few people that go back to the old regime. Uh, they think he's doing a really good job and yeah. Interviewing him for even a spot on the, on the big league coaching staff, which may still be in play, you know um, I think it tells you something about how good a job they think he's doing developing players. Uh, Kyle's a really interesting guy. He has kind of some old, school nature to him but he's also really creative in how he thinks about players and usage um after he left the giants he went to cleveland for a very short period right when they were renovating that front office and how they think and became you know an organization that's at the forefront of pitching development and uh, he's told me that that was a really important part of his career and i think influenced his thinking he's he's very progressive in some ways but he also really cares about you know, the person and the player. So yeah, I think part of that is about player development, just like Pat Burrell is, because Pat Burrell is a guy roving yeah. around, you know, Vogie's a guy roving around. These guys know the people in the organization. They know the strengths and weaknesses of those players. So I do think there's an eye to having people on the big league staff that know the talent coming up from the organization this year. Gosh, Bob Melvin has got to put Kai Correa and Pat Burrell on the same staff. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> Seeing those two standing next to each other on the foul line on opening day, getting announced next to each other. I would I would live for that. Um, just, yeah, they have to be standing next to each other, right? Because there is exactly. a, a very large disparity. <laughs> And you know, you know what? I know who I'd want as my manager, and it's Kai. <laughs> I'd want Pat down in the dugout talking to all the players. I want Kai making those decisions at the top step. I mean, but Pat is a guy. I mean, he, I see him talking to the players. He he connects with these young players yeah. well, and he has a great eye for mm -hmm. mechanics. Like he knows what he's talking about when he's down there. So um, it, it's interesting because it does feel like there's going to be a downsizing to the staff. So you wonder exactly how much they're going to be relying on the sort of in-game data 
the way that the, the, the old big staff did um, and how much it's going to be more prepare before play during the during the game, which was, you know, Dennis Pelfrey, who manages the Richmond team. That's his big thing. The work is done in the in the morning, in the afternoon. At night, you're just letting your instincts kind of go, um, which is. I think a more refreshing yeah. <laughs> point of view, right? Cause you want to watch athletes get out there and be athletes as we've talked about before. Yeah. And you want to, you want to hear about that from the person at the highest level of the organization, whether it be, you know, the front office or the manager. And now it's Bob Melvin's turn to be the messenger for the giant. So one thing that I wanted to do, Roger, is talk about your rule five series, because this oh, is my rule the next step of the off season for the giants, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So one thing I, I published my sort of start to the series uh, yesterday, I think, and and I'm going to start looking at individual players. One thing I said in the in the introduction to the series is a lot of the heavy lifting has been done already. Most of the people who were going to be in a in a standard progression, the Rule Five decisions this fall were added to the roster this summer. You know, mm-hmm. the Patrick Bailey, Casey Schmidt, that group of players, Tyler Fitzgerald. That group of players has been added to the 40 men, which means that the decisions they have to make about how to find, fit them on there uh, have already been made. So I don't think you're going to see as big a group this year. Um, I think it's going to be trimmed down. I don't want to give away my series, uh, but <laughs> right, now, <laughs> right now I'm between three and four guys being added i don't think it's going to be much beyond that because they have already done most of the guys i mean harrison was added to the 40 man and he wouldn't be rule five eligible until next year meckler's two years away so they've done this sort of building the roster and i don't know how much they are really risking losing players right now from the org i think there are a couple guys that they probably will definitely protect mcgray mcgray i think they definitely will protect um, Artiaga, I think they probably definitely will protect beyond that. It's, you know, look for a couple arms, I think to maybe bolster the, the bullpen. I don't think it's going to be as big a group this year as last year. Interesting that Grant McRae comes up because he's, he is the one who is on my mind about what you might be able to do with him this off season. If you add him, maybe you trade him, but if you keep him, maybe he, he flies to the majors at some point next year because he was drafted out of high school. Right. And yeah. so those things click for guys once they've been in the minors four to five seasons. And so uh, there's, there's no shortage of, of talent there. The ceiling is high, but the floor might be low. The thing about McCray too, is he's the kind, he's a rule five profile guy, even though he has, has only played in high a, you could probably put him in a big league center field today yeah, and have him just play defense and be a pinch runner. And if you can do that, you can you can carry a guy right because if you can play up the middle you have a use on a roster it's the guys on the corner that are harder to to fit you know throughout the year as rule five um so he i think could definitely come up and play and i, I the same a little bit with Artiaga. i think he could hold his own defensively probably so you that's a risk leaving him out there beyond that to those two though you start getting into kind of corner bats or or you know, six starter type pitchers. I don't think they're really in danger of losing most of those guys. They'll probably make that, you know, risk assessment that, you know, like Nick, they did with uh, Nick Avila last year. Um, Avila, Nick Avila last year. (laughs) He may get selected, but we think he'll get returned. And and they're right. And he's going to be a choice again this year. He's going to be a really difficult choice, actually. Oh, interesting. So, 
that's the series on uh, on there are giants coming up this uh, this off season. Uh, one thing that I want to do, Roger, before we we say goodbye here and end this show is one final thought on Bob Melvin from me is a few weeks ago we were talking about how Brandon Crawford was the link from the roster yeah. to the fan base, and I don't know that that's necessarily something that every organization has to have at all times, but it's really nice when an organization has it. And Bob Melvin's from the Bay area. He knows the Bay area, grew up a Giants fan, played for the Giants. There are people like you, you mentioned at the opening of the show, you watched him hit a home run at Candlestick Park. Those memories don't go away for people. And I think with the game of baseball, because you're on screen 162 times a year, people see your face. It's not like football where you're wearing a helmet and long pants. It's very different. I think that that connection matters in building back trust and loyalty. I, you know, I'm glad you brought that back to that. I wanted to say the same thing before we left. Um, my formative years as a Giants fan were a period where everybody was miserable to be there and wanted to get out. You know, <laughs> Chili Davis holding dynamite on the the cover of Sp- Sports Illustrated in front of a picture of Candlestick Park. That's kind of you know my early college years, and it, I'm. I'm tied to people who feel like it is special to be a giant. The greatest thing that ever happened to this franchise was Peter McGowan buying it and and bringing Barry Bonds and making it about there's something special about being a giant. Yes. And having that from our manager, having him talk about it's a special place for him to be, that always kind of warms the cockles of my heart. It is meaningful. It is meaningful. It's more than just a job. And and I really appreciated hearing, hearing that from him. Yeah. Should we end with that? Yeah, let's cut it down <laughs> at this point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, next time there will be even more Giants news. I'm sure Bob Melvin will have hired coaches. I'm sure the Giants will have made some sort of transactions with their roster. So, Roger, thank you. Thank you, Kerry. I appreciate talking with you. Uh, I can't wait till we uh, talk about the Otani signing uh, in just a couple of weeks. <laughs> Perfect. Gave you love with a brand new star That's what you needed the most To set your broken heart free I know you cried and you felt blue But when I could I gave strength to you I'm waiting for the day when you can love